today on themes. Uh, Book of the Fives and and Guttara Nikaya, uh, number 57. It's actually quite a popular one. And Arjun Bramali likes to use it when he's teaching a meditation retreat. I don't need to teach a class, you just look at the screen. I could just sit here quietly. That would be wonderful. <laughs> Anywho. Is it up? Well, anyways, uh, one of the reasons why I chose this uh, sutta uh, is because I think it's quite a practical one and um, is very useful for a person who is, you know, a Buddhist and who wants to um, find, I think, find some sort of motivation to, uh, you know, to push themselves along this path. And it's basically uh, reflections on your, you know, old age, sickness and death, and also um, things which are beloved and dear to you. To you, uh, you'll be separated from them one day, and also um, on karma. So I think it's a very, it's quite a simple one, but it's very powerful. And uh, has, is it up? Five. Yeah. Yeah, fifty seven. Fifty seven. Anyway, it's a very simple sutta about simple things. But when you think about it, it is very true. And sometimes with uh, such subjects like this, we tend to forget about them. Because they're not like the lofty teachings of the Buddha, you know, things like dependent origination, the jhanas, the enlightenment. This is something which is, um, you know, in a sense, quite mundane compared to those things. But at the same time, they're very powerful because these are the things that the Buddha saw before he became a monk. He saw a person who was old, he saw a person who was dying, he saw a dead person, and before that he lived a life um, in luxury, uh, his father protected him from seeing anything like that. He lived in palaces where, you know, they said that the sun didn't even touch his skin. And he was entertained all day by musicians. And he ate the best food and he had the best education. His dad actually didn't want to expose him to the re- reality of life. And this is what the sutta is about, it's about the reality of life. Things that happen around us all the time, but we just don't want to see it. Because it's challenging. And in a sense, we're de- we are in denial. 
we don't want to see these things. We don't want to accept them. And because when they start happening to us, we, uh, we suffer because we haven't, you know, uh, trained our minds or reflected upon such things. You know, developing the wisdom that, that comes from understanding our bodies. Is it up now? Okay. <laughs> okay, so we can start. <laughs> Just to let you know, I'm not a scholar. I'm more of a builder. So hopefully I don't take a sledgehammer to this sutta and wreck it. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> All right, okay. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Pikus. Pikus. So he was talking to the monks. There are these five themes that should be often reflected upon by a woman or a man, by a householder, or one gone forth. So this is for everybody, um, this sutta, for monks, nuns, and lay people. Uh, what five, a woman or a man, a, a householder, or one gone forth, should often ref reflect thus, I am subject to old age. I am not exempt from old age. A woman or a man, a householder or one gone forth should often reflect, I am subject to, to illness. I am not exempt from illness. A woman or a man, a householder or one gone forth should often reflect, thus, I am subject to death. I am not exempt from death. A woman or a man, a householder, or one gone forth, should often reflect, thus I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me. A woman or a man, a householder, or one gone forth, should often reflect, thus I am the owner of my karma, the heir of my karma. I have karma as my origin, karma as my relative, karma as my resort. I will be the heir of whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. So the Buddha is telling us here that we should try to reflect upon these things um, time and time again. And, you know, when I was a young monk, when I heard teachings like this, I thought, oh, they're not very important because I'm young, I'm not sick. Uh, and, you know, sometimes these thoughts don't come across my mind. But um, over the years, you start thinking about these things, and you can see how powerful they are. Then, uh, you know, teachings like this do become important. And I'll get to that later on, how these um, teachings do benefit us in terms of getting ourselves to, you know, refocus on the reason while we live our lives. <laughs> okay. For the sake of what benefit should a woman or a man, a householder or one gone forth, often reflect thus, I am subject to old age, I am not exempt from old age. In their youth, beings are intoxicated with their youth, and when they are intoxicated with their youth, they engage in misconduct by body, speech and mind. But when one often reflects upon this theme, the intoxication with youth is either completely abandoned 
or diminished. It is for the sake of this benefit that a woman or a man, a, a householder or one gone forth, should often reflect thus, I am subject to old age, I am not exempt from old age. So this is uh, the part where the Buddha talks about uh, the reason why we reflect upon these things. So he, here he's talking about old age. And when we think about old age, it tells us that we, uh, we have a limited of time on this earth. And in a sense, uh, maybe you think about it time and time again, that, limit, that limitation in time, you can only do so many things. So what the Buddha is, what I get from it is, um, in life we have to set our priorities, you know, what, to do things which are important. And he said, he goes on and says that, you know, you get intoxicated with your youth. That means you're young, yeah. You got your university degree, you got your money, you can go out surfing, you can have partners, you can do this, you can do that. You can really enjoy your life. But as you all know, time passes by really quickly. And before you know it, you're like 38. That's me. <laughs> and then you're 40 and then you turn 50. And then you think to yourself, oh, what have I done with my time? Have I wasted it? Or have I used it well? So, um, so then the, the Buddha goes on and says that but when somebody reflects upon uh, this theme, the intoxication with youth, is either completely abandoned or diminished. That's very important as well. Uh, because it tells us that what's happening to this person is that they are weakening. Like, uh, it says diminished in this book, but in the original Anguttara Narikaya, it uses the word weakening. Weakening. So what happens is you start to look at the limitations that youth can give you. And yes, we live in a world where there is happiness of the, you know, of the body, of the mind. But at the same time, there is suffering as well. But at the same time, you have a teaching like the, the, uh, you know, the Dhamma, a way out. A practice, and and um, and this is a path that you know each and every one of us can pursue and, and walk on. But what he's saying here, when these things become diminished, is you start to see the limitations. So what happens is the you know the uh, you know the attachments, you know the cravings, they get weakened, or you see that there's no point doing these things, and once you can in a sense, release yourself from, uh, from, um, release yourself from the things that you can get into when you're young, then you can have more time 
to uh, prioritize and do what is important. And this is the Buddhist teachings, this is the Dhamma. So what's important is the practice. <laughs> okay, any questions? Yes, yes. Seems quite lofty, like. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Abandon, uh, I don't, I'm not, my interpretation of that is, is you get to a point where, you know, you get, you get really deep meditation and you can, like, completely let go. It's like a loftier state. But then when you look at the word diminished, uh, you can understand that if you've been a Buddhist for a long time, you can see your attachments becoming diminished over the years. It's as if you know, they were strong a few years ago, but now they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And then eventually they will diminish or abandon, got rid of, yeah. Like, um, I, don't know, I don't know what people's interpretations are, but when it comes to like letting go and, and giving up things, I don't think it all happens at once. Like one day you're full of craving, full of uh, ill will, full of delusion, and then the next day you don't have it anymore because you had some sort of experience. I don't think it works that way. It's more of a, more of a training, you know, step by step. Like the uh, period, you can sort of see it as um, Nibbana being a pyramid being built by bricks. So you just built brick by brick by brick until you get to the peak and that's Nibbana. It just comes in stages, you know, step by step. And in the same way when it comes to like letting go of things completely, you do it in stages. That's why when you see, that's why when you all remember me many years ago, <laughs> I was full of defilements and now I'm still full of defilements. <laughs> but they've become weakened over time. <laughs> And you all know that as well. You've been practicing for a long time. And you can see yourself becoming more calmer and more peaceful, yeah. What was I on about? Another interesting thing about old age, I was flicking through the uh, suttas and uh, the Buddha said that when the body becomes old, it becomes... I don't want to put the old people, give um, no hope to the old people, but the body becomes a little bit more tighter, a little bit more weaker. You know, it's one o'clock in the afternoon and you want to go to bed. And you've, you've slept 12 hours and you wake up and you're still tired. And the Buddha said, like being old... <laughs> I didn't say that this is what the Buddha said, so please don't hate me. <laughs> the Buddha said being old is, is it's like a, almost like a hindrance. It makes it difficult for one to strive on the path. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we're at uh, number two. This is a really good mic, isn't it? It's a good mic. 
What brand is it? <laughs> okay. And for the sake of what benefit should a woman or a man, a householder, one gone forth, re often reflect thus, I am subject to illness. I am not exempt from illness. In a state of health, beings are intoxicated with their health, and when they are intoxicated with their health, they are engaged in misconduct of body, by body, speech, and mind. But when one often reflects upon this theme, the intoxication with health is either completely abandoned or diminished. It is for the sake of this of this benefit that a woman or a man, a householder, one going forth should often reflect thus, I am subject to illness. I am not exempt uh, from illness. So, yeah, so uh, again, we're not going to be healthy and strong uh, for you know for the whole of of our lives. And the body, you know, the Buddha said they engage in misconduct of body, speech, and mind. And sometimes uh, when I look at that, um, I like to look at it in a way where um, it takes you know it takes you away. Uh, from the practice of the Dhamma, really. Uh, like getting involved with things that, that you can waste time on. And misconduct, misconduct can mean a lot of things. Uh, it could mean like uh, making bad karma with your body, uh, with your speech, saying the wrong things and also with your mind. But I think when uh, this sutta is about uh, focusing on the path and and trying to come to a point of liberation, and as you can see, there's a duality in these paragraphs. There's there's one side of it is the unwholesome, yeah, misconduct by body, speech, and mind, and the other side is the wholesome, the abandoning and the, the, or diminishing um, of the intoxication with health. So it just makes you, yet again, reflect upon your well-being, upon your health, and letting you, and it just, and, it, and the Buddha also said in one of the other suttas, is that if you're a person with who is you know sickly, with uh, with a, like a bad digestion, you know who isn't healthy, he said that is also a hindrance for you to strive on this path. So I think in you can connect those two suttas together and get more meaning of what the Buddha is trying to say here. And as a uh, you know as a practitioner for. Um, for um, some years, you get to understand that when you're when you're sick or when you have a cold or a stomach ache, it just makes it that much more difficult uh, to meditate. Is you know it becomes more of a hindrance. And when you are healthy and you're strong, then when it comes to med to to meditate, the body is more energetic, it's more sharp. So the practice becomes a lot easier. Thank <laughs> you.
And you know, misconduct by body, speech and mind, in a sense, it's how we live our lives, what we do when we're healthy. Do we, uh, do we live a virtuous lifestyle or do we not? You know what I mean? This is what the Buddha could be pointing to as well. And that's, I think that's one of the things that I like about the Buddha's teachings. It's not so detailed. It's, he just makes a few points. And for each and every one of us, we can have our interpretation in you know, what he's saying. It's like that simple teaching outside. He says, uh, you know, do wholesome things, Don't, do not do un." wholesome thing, let go of unwholesome things and purify the mind. It's very simple, but in a sense I think it's quite good because everybody sees uh, you know, the world differently, everybody interpretates the meaning of the words differently. And even when I look at this, I'm giving you my own spin and my own interpretation. And if Ajahn Brahm was here, he would give his spin, Ajahn Bamali or whoever. You know what, yeah. Yes. And okay, we go to number three. And for the sake of what benefit should a woman or a man, a householder, one gone forth, often re reflect thus, I am subject to death, I am not exempt from death. During their lives, beings are intoxicated with life. And when they are intoxicated with life, they engage in misconduct by body and speech and mind. But when one often reflects upon this theme, the intoxication of life is either completely abandoned or diminished. Uh, it is for the sake of this benefit that a woman or a man, a householder, one gone forth, should often re reflect thus, I am subject to death. I am not exempt from death. Yeah, so death is a scary thing uh, for a lot of us. And I think when one starts to contemplate one's death, one can start to um, accept their, you know, fate. Yeah. And yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just like basically the same thing that I've been saying before. Uh, you know, if one, don't, one doesn't think about these things, one can get carried away um, in the world, just wasting time, pretty much. Uh, all of you come here with, you know, really good intentions. Um, some of you, of you want to become monks, some of you don't. And, and just thinking about that, this life is, you only have a, sh a certain time um, to it. The, what the Buddha is trying to say here is to use it wisely and to reflect and think about it. Think about life, and he gave us, you know, these teachings as a uh, as a format for us to follow. And he's saying to us not to waste our time. You know, we're gonna die soon. Don't go out and make bad karma. Um, in a way, we live in a very harmonious country in Australia. We're governed very well, there's no wars, there's no poverty. 
so in a sense, we don't need to, um, you know, we don't need to go out there and uh, create, um, create, you know, bad karma. You know, if you see, if you say you're living in a place where there's a lot of poverty, you're more encouraged to go out there and still to survive, or you're living in a place where there's wars. And yeah, and uh, because you have to protect yourself or protect your family, then you you know you you get pick up a gun or whatever, and you try to protect yourself. There's violence there. So, in a sense, living in Australia, we are very fortunate because we're living in a very harmonious place. And in a in a way, it's very it's quite difficult for us to to um, to engage in misconduct of the body, speech and mind when it comes to such things. But yet again, it's always good to reflect upon it because, you know, we are going to die. And we are going to get, where are we going to get reborn? We're lucky enough to come across uh, Dhammaloka Center and the monks that teach here, and the bhikkhunis as well, for what's going to happen in our next lives. If you live a life where there's misconduct in body, speech, and mind, when you die, do you think in your next life, will you be able to come into contact with such teachings? But if you live a good life, making good karma, Practicing, you don't need to become monks, but the intention of being one to eventually one day, you know, end suffering, to experience, experience, you know, full peace, freedom, and enlightenment. If you have that in your hearts when you pass away, you never know. You might come back. <laughs> Dhammaloka could still be here. And there'll be, Arjun Brahman probably won't be here, but you never know. The suttas will. His talks will. <laughs> Photos of him on the wall. There might be pictures of him on the wall. So yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful, these are very powerful contemplations. We get sick. You know, we get lost in our youth. Oh, I won't, I'm 20 years old, I won't. I won't make any good karma today. I'll just wait until tomorrow. You know that old saying, oh, I'm really young. I'm not going to meditate today. I'll meditate tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes what? <laughs> One week? <laughs> Two weeks? And then before you know it, you're like 50 or 60 years old. And then you're like, oh, I'm too tired now. I don't have enough strength. Oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> so yeah, these are very good reflections, very good. Okay, number five. As for the sake of, and for the sake of what benefit, should a woman or a man, a household, household or one gone forth often reflect thus, I am the owner of my karma. The year of my karma. I have karma as my origin, karma as my relative, karma as my resort. I will 
be the heir of whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. People engage in misconduct of the body, speech and mind, but when one often reflects upon this theme, such misconduct is either completely abandoned or diminished. It is for the sake of this benefit that a woman or a man, a householder, one gone forth, should often reflect thus, I am the owner of my karma, the heir of my karma, I have karma as my origin, karma as my relative, karma as my resort. I will be the heir to whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. So yeah, the Buddha is asking us to turn our minds to this uh, thing that we call karma, which is, mm, uh, you could say, a popular mm, word in our culture today. You know, people use it all the time. They go, oh yeah, it's karma, that's why it's happened to them. But the Buddha is telling us to just think about it. The idea of being a good person, of making good karma. I remember when I was, before I became a Buddhist, I didn't have that concept. Oh, you know, making good karma, being, I was, I guess I was a good person. I was a good enough person. But just the idea of actively doing something good, it wasn't in my, it wasn't in my mind until I came across uh, this teaching. And then I started to, you know, actively, actively do stuff, like, you know, look, spend more time with my mother, um, be kinder to my brother, you know, things like that. You know, taking my mates out and, you know, buying them lunch or dinner. You know, these teachings make us think about how we can use our resources in a different way. And the idea of, the idea of karma is, he says here, you're the owner of your, your karma. So whatever you do, you own it. If you make good karma, you own that. If you make bad karma, you own that. So in a way, you can't really get away with, with uh, anything. And sometimes when we live a life, uh, this life, and we, we, uh, we find ourselves in situations where, whether it's work or whether it's our family, and we get into arguments and we get into fights. And, you know, we can't let go. We want to take revenge on that person. Sometimes it's just good to just use this teaching on karma and just say, oh, okay, if that person is treating me like crap, then I don't have to teach him a lesson. I'll just step back and just think to myself that their karma is, is what they're doing is they're making bad karma and that is the cause for their suffering. They're, you know, they're not going, they're not in a good headspace. So there's no need for you to like correct them or, or take revenge or, or, you know, be defiant when some, somebody has done, done something wrong to you. Because you all know if you, if you start retaliating and, and um, trying to win the battle, it never ends. You just walk around and your mind is, you know, encompassed with these, um, 
you know, bad thoughts and feelings. So I have karma as my origin, karma as my relative, karma as my resort. So yeah, like karma is like quite a personal thing for us. Is you know, whatever we do, it's you know, it sticks to us. It's very close to us, like our relatives, our resort. You know, at the end of the, of the day, we go back home, and all we're left with is you not. Know, you know, we go back home. Say you're from the office, you go back home. And you're by yourself, and all you, you're with yourself. And what else? What else are you with? You know, you with the, your karma, the karma that you made that day. So I will be the heir of whatever karma, good or bad, that I do. So when, you know, what goes around comes around. People who engage in misconduct by body and speech and mind, that you know, that speaks for itself. And for the sake, after, you know, after contemplating this for many, many a times, you start to uh, abandon unwholesome karma and just try to generate wholesome karma. Yes. Okay. Now it changes a bit. Oh, I missed the part, didn't I? <laughs> Number four. Okay. <laughs> what time is it? Any questions? No. Yes, Eddie. Ajahn Santuti. Oh. I think this this sutta, yeah. the the gist of this sutta is, um, you know, life is reflecting on the you know, uh, what old age, six illness and death. Okay, is that life is short? This thing okay, and when it, like uh, don't waste our time, you know, yeah. because there's a karma involved, you know, as I see, okay. The first part, just to reflect on old um, sickness, old age, and death, that's depressing. To to to, to want to contemplate on even that, you know. Don't yeah. You? yeah. So when when karma was brought in, oh, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You see, what I mean, I see it. Yeah. 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 So like uh, within this short period of time, we have this thing: don't waste our time because we are subject to future rebirth too. Based yeah, on our that's karma. right. Yeah, our time is limited. So we've got to use our time wisely on this earth. And I think the, the human potential is, is like amazing, what you can do with the mind. I mean, humans built this hall. We made cars, invented light. Our mind is so, you know, powerful in a sense. So if we really wanted to, we can make something good, you know, of our lives. Make some sort of impact to better the world. Okay. Okay, number four. And for the sake of what benefit should a, a woman or a man, a householder, one going forth, often reflect us? I must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me. 
beings have desire and lust in regard to those people and things that are dear and agreeable and excited by this lust they engage in misconduct by body and speech and mind but when one often reflects upon this theme the desire and lust in regard to everyone and everything dear and agreeable is either completely abandoned or diminished it is for the sake of this benefit that a woman or a man a householder or one gone forth should often ref reflect thus i must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me and what really stands out is uh, for me in this paragraph is i must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable to me hmm. and it's just i think what he's talking about here is the basic attachments that we develop through our lives uh, with the people who are really close to us and the buddha here is giving us a way to have uh, perspective when a close one is separated from us you know if, uh, you know people you know people in this room i'm sure some of you have had somebody who's really close to you that has passed away or has been taken away and how much you know suffering has that given you so you know he said when you contemplate that things are parted from separated part uh, must be parted and separated from you he said if you contemplate that often uh, like last, like uh, like these things, like completely abandoned or diminish, like the attachment. You know, lust is you know lust is in this context like lust or you know craving for like the opposite sex. But I also think the attachment that you have uh, to a loved one, and you can. And this gives people perspective, it gives them something to think about that, that there comes a time where, you know, our mum or our fathers, our friends, good friends, they pass away. And, and, um, and um, if, if, you're a, if you're a person who doesn't reflect upon, upon uh, the fact that these things can happen, when it does happen, the suffering can be immense. It could be numbing. It could be paralyzing. But because you have this perspective, you have this understanding that people are not going to be here forever. So when they go, yes, you are going to suffer. You are going to, you are going to, um, you know, you are going to suffer. But at the same time, you have the teachings of the Buddha to help you like lessen that suffering to give you perspective to give you the understanding that this happens to everybody not just only me and I think the problem comes from when people start taking it too personal why is it happening to, to me is unfair and that just adds more difficulty and more you know sorrow to the situation and you can see it's very sad to see things like this happening. I remember when so one of our supporters 
um, her son died, right? Her son died, and obviously, you know, she's a Buddhist, so she has this understanding that not everybody's going to live until an old age. Um, accidents happen. People can die at any time. So you can see when it happened that she was devastated. Um, she was hurt by it, but over time, because she had perspective, she got over, you know, the sorrow and pain. But on the other hand, you know, her husband, he couldn't, he couldn't accept it. I think he was blame, blaming himself. And you could see that he wasn't able to forgive himself or to, um, to get perspective, to get some understanding. So each day that went past, without his son being there, you could see the suffering getting more and more and more. And then, before you know it, a couple of years later, the husband passed away. And he wasn't like old. But I thought about it, I didn't ask questions, but it was kind of obvious. Each time I saw him, when he went to the monastery, he just looked more depressed, more despondent, uh, something tragic like this has happened to his life. Now he has nothing to live for. And because of that, that suffering, you know, sort of like he died from a broken heart, as people would say. And I would have, uh, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, we just have little discussions in the monastery and I always talk to Arjun Bamali and I go, Arjun Bamali, you know, what's the point of thinking about rebirth and you know contemplating this and that you know when someone someone dies who is really close to us we're gonna suffer you know that's the nature of life but then he said yes you are gonna suffer but with these principles and with these teachings so it gives you perspective so in a way it will help you lessen the suffering because you have more understanding in the nature of life and the famous story about the Buddha with the, baby, the, the lady and the baby. She was suffering a lot. The Buddha told her to, to uh, go around to the houses and collect a mustard seed from a house which hasn't had anybody who has died there. So she went to this house and asked the person or the person living, has any, anybody died here? And she said, yes, my grandfather. And she went to the next house and asked the same question. She went to many, many houses and all that the answers that she got was that somebody has um, passed away. So she could never collect that mustard seed. So the, the Buddha said, did the Buddha say if you collect that mustard seed, I'll bring your baby back to life? I can't remember. <laughs> well, anyway, so, and then the penny dropped. Because she was just focusing on herself. Why is this happening to me? My whole world is crumbling down. But then she got perspective. It's not only me, it's everybody. This is the nature of life. And once she understood that, the suffering start, started to lessen. She could eventually forget about it and move on. Did she become a nun? And become enlightened, I think, or something like that? Well, anyways, yeah. <laughs> it's good enough, yeah? <coughs> okay.
Okay, so we're going to... So I messed up a bit there, so we're going to skip number five and go to number one again. Yeah? This noble disciple reflects thus, I am not the only one who is subject to old age, not exempt from old age. All beings that come and go, that pass away and undergo rebirth are subject to old age. None are exempt from old age. As he often reflects on this theme, the path is generated. He pursues this path, develops it, cultivates it, and as he does so, the fetters are entirely abandoned and the underlying, underlying tendencies are uprooted. So the noble disciple. What does Ajahn Brahmali say about the noble disciple? Does anybody know? Huh? Minimum string winners. Oh, on the path. So, yeah. So that's like people on the path to become, becoming uh, stream enterers or stream enterers uh, themselves. But I think you can look at this part and, you know, you can still use it uh, for your own practice. Because it goes on and says that you know everybody has to get old, and then you think about getting old, and you think about life, and you think about where you want to achieve and where you want to go, and because you're interested in Buddhism, you understand that you're going to get old one day. So now that you're young, fit, and healthy you might as well just try to develop this path and uh, cultivate it so that, so that the fetters are abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted. Hmm. So it allows us to just create more focus, put our minds on the path so that we can develop a powerful mind to be able to abandon everything. Are there underlying tendencies that are sores? Underlying tendencies? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> okay. Underlying tendencies, I don't think... Does anybody know what they are? Huh? Uh, when I read it, I sort of think like the habits of the mind, the underlying tendencies, which anything which basically keeps you in samsara. Uh, when you understand the Buddhist teachings, there's things that is keeping you here, keeping you reborn. Basically, the fetters, the five hindrances, greed, hatred, and delusion. They're just like words pointing to one thing. Or pointing to, you know, as, yeah, just one thing really, and and um, you know, uh, you know, you develop this, you develop, you pursue the path, you develop it, you cultivate it. Is you're generating, uh, you're generating the path through the practice of meditation. Ajahn 
when he teaches here, he always talks about the deep meditations, the jhanas, and then, and then once the jhanas are attained, the mind is powerful, and then you sort of like wipe out all the things that keep you stuck in samsara, all the attachments, all the you know underlying tendencies you can call them, or things that are uprooted. It's just basically just clearing your mind, just freeing your mind. Now these are just words that point to the things which are stopping you getting there. And as you, if you talk to Arjun Brahm, he would say that this is this path is more of a you know a path of feeling. You feel your way through the path. It's an emotional path. And these are you know words that the Buddha used to just describe it in many different ways. But I think he means the same thing. If you read the suttas enough, you or if you've been a Buddhist enough for a long time, you can understand it's just more or less the same thing. <laughs> Any more questions? <laughs> Eddie? Oh, there's an, oh, you should give it to this young man over here. He hasn't asked a question. <laughs> All right. Um, I have a question about uh, the emotional path. So, what if someone is a complete psychopath? Would they have trouble following the path because it's an emotional path? Uh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> it's. Like it's 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 I guess it's how you interpret it. It's when you when Arjun Brahm talks about the the path of meditation, it's more of a feeling path. You know, you feel the peace, you feel the emotion. But that's just one way of describing it. But if you were to describe it to like a person who is who's not so emotional, like a psychopath, you can just say you can say to them, it's more of a path of stillness. You know, quiet, a letting go where there's no thoughts, where things are blank, really. You're creating more energy, more stillness in the mind. Do you think, um, like, the love and compassion comes out of stillness then? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Because. It's like when you become, I think when you become, you, if you become a meditator, you become a lot more stiller, uh, you become more sensible. Like I, I remember asking Arjun Brahm, if you can give uh, Buddhism another name, well, what would you give it? He would say, common sense-ism. <laughs> so you just need a bit of common sense, right? So what happens is when you become still and more peaceful, the loving kindness and compassion, it just comes out when you relate to people. And you, you know, when you relate to people. So if I were to relate to so-and-so, what would be the best way to relate to them? Should I be like condescending or be bossy or instead, or should I have a, you know, a sense of friendliness and loving kindness towards them? So when you're practicing and you're becoming still, you want to be able to live, you know, harmoniously, harmoniously with other people. 
You want to, you know, create like a good feeling between one another, and because of that, you can act accordingly. So that's when the you know the meta and the compassion comes out. Thank you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Uh, I was thinking of the underlying tendencies, you know. It could be very strong. It takes time, you know, to eradicate the things and it could take yeah. lifetimes too. Oops. <laughs> Yeah, it just takes time. <laughs> One lifetime, two lifetime, doesn't matter. It just takes time. But you can see, you can see, you can see that they're getting less and less and less. Yeah. I'd like to give the example of like letting go is like um, when you have, uh, you know, when you were younger, you had you played with the uh, tennis racket and the ball, and it was attached to the pole, and you would hit it. You're like hitting it, it's sort of like a uh, simile for like trying to let go. You hit it, right? The ball goes away, but it comes back to you. <laughs> you hit it again and it comes back to you. And sometimes it's like that when we're trying to let go of things, we're trying to calm down our minds. But over the years when we, you know, when we recondition our minds, we think in, in a certain way, we find better skills uh, in letting things go. And what starts to happen is when you start to hit this ball on the string, you know, it comes back, but once you get wiser and, you know, throughout your life, you hit the ball, but the string is not there anymore. And then the ball just goes away and it never comes back. And sometimes when it comes to letting go, you can, you know, you, over time you can start letting go skillfully, so when you let go of stuff, it doesn't come back. Hmm? Okay. Ooh, okay. The noble disciple reflects thus, I am not the only one who is subject to illness, not exempt from illness. All beings come and go that pass away and undergo rebirth are subject to illness. None are, none are exempt from illness. As he often reflects on this theme, the path is generated, he pursues this path and develops it and cultivates it. And he does so, the fetters are entirely abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted. So that's, you know, that speaks for itself. I'll just go on to the next one. Um, this noble disciple reflects thus, I am not the only one who is subject to death, not exempt from death, all beings that... All beings come and go that pass away undergo rebirth, are subject to death, none are exempt from death. As he often reflects on this theme, the path is generated, he pursues this path and develops it and cultivates it. As he does so, the fetters are entirely abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted. Yeah, that's what I like about this, you know, this, this little saying at the bottom of the paragraph is, you know, once you start pursuing this path, you develop it, you cultivate it. You know, as he does so, it basically means through time, very slowly, the fetters are, 
entirely abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted which is very nice I think because you can all see um, in your own minds the uh, the fetters and the underlying tendencies and just imagine one day you get to a point when there's nothing there that would be so awesome that would be cool okay the, this noble path reflects thus I am not the only one who must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable all beings that come and go that pass away and undergo rebirth must be parted and separated from everyone and everything dear and agreeable as he often as he often reflects on this theme the path is generated he pursues this path develops it cultivates it as he does so the fetters are entirely abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted it's kind of interesting i was just thinking then you know the buddha here talks about the noble disciple and then before that he was just talking to people like you and me and and um and uh basically there are like two outcomes when it comes to contemplating these things and for this group of the noble disciples one starts to you know generate the path they cultivate it and if if it's the uh if it's the uh the stream enterer and the stream enterer starts to cultivate this path and develops it and he starts to let go of all the defilements and as I remember just now uh, Majin Brahm giving a word of the Buddha class and he basically says that you get your L plates when you become a stream enterer wow like, when I heard that I was like oh, all this time I'm putting in I'm not really getting anywhere not even L plates but it's like a powerful statement that he's making only when you, when you like become a stream enter enterer, you get your L plates and that when things really start happening. So this is probably what is the Buddha is trying to say here when it comes to cultivating the path. But for us, you know, the first part is is still very useful. It puts gives us perspective, gives us meaning to our lives, do what's important. The noble the noble disciple reflects thus I am not the only one who is the owner of one's karma the heir of one's karma who has karma as one's origin karma as one's relative karma as one's resort who will be the heir of whatever karma good or bad that one does all beings that come and go that pass away undergo rebirth are owners of their karma, heirs of their karma, all have karma as their origin, karma as their relative, karma as their resort, all will be heirs of whatever karma, good or bad, they do. As he often reflects on this theme, the path is generated, he pursues this path, develops it and cultivates it. As he does so, the fetters are entirely abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted. So yeah, the Buddha is just uh, just giving instructions to you know the uh, the noble disciples to reflect upon these things because he probably knows that they still need that motivation.
that reason to you know keep on going to you know practice that's why we all come here just to get that reminder as as buddhists to you know refocus our minds so we come here on the weekend i see the same faces over the past three days come here for the weekend so we can you know prepare ourselves for the week that's coming up and try to implement you know the teachings um, to our daily lives so the buddhas yeah that's what the buddhas i think the buddha is trying to do here is trying to give us that reminder obvious things but powerful okay so worldlings subject to illness old age and death are disgusted but other people who exist in accordance with their nature. If I were to become disgusted with beings who have such a nature, that would be not proper for me, since I too have the same nature. While I was dwelling thus, having known the state without acquisitions, I overcame all intoxications, intoxications with health, with youth and with life, having seen security and renunciation. Zeal then arose in me as I clearly saw Nibbana. Now I am incapable of indulging in sensual pleasures, relying on the spiritual life. Never will I turn back. Hmm. Yeah. Anything anybody wants to talk about? Nobody asking question. I just one more. Okay, yeah. Ajahn Satuti, when we talk about the path, you know, the pathway, hmm. don't you think it's also we also happy to reflect, you know, on the, the stages towards enlightenment, you know, you know, the stream entrance, once return, and all, you know, you know, the stages. Mm -hmm. so if you don't, you are only thinking of this life. So it, it sounds a bit like a, oh, you know. What's that? You see what I mean? The sutta here it talks about the path. Yeah. So the path is, you know, the stages towards enlightenment, the four stages. Yeah. Yes. So we have to reflect on that too, you know. Yes. Not that we have to. So I mean, the monks you can do it within one lifetime. Yes, you know. For lay people, we also have to be true to ourselves to reflect on that too, so that it makes it easier. Yeah. Uh, it's good to think about these things. It, gives us a, um, a fuller understanding of what Buddhism is about mm. and, and uh, the potential of a human mind, where it can go to. Yeah, I don't see why not, but mm, yeah, you can think about it. If you think about it, the thing, anything is like, if you think about it too much, then it becomes, it becomes a hindrance. But if you think about it every now and again, then that's okay. No, no, I don't. I don't mean that. Sorry, sorry. I mean like uh, you know, the, it's talked about pathway, you know. Yeah. So the pathway, it's the, the path towards enlightenment. Yeah. And then the, towards enlightenment is, is the four the four stages. Yeah. The path to enlightenment. Yeah. Thinking about the path to enlightenment. Yes, it is a pathway in the, you know, yeah. in the sutta that I think. You know. So when you talk about pathway, it's good to reflect that it's not only on this life, you know. It's, it goes on to the you know. 
Oh yeah, onto the next yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then life after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. The reason why I say this all when I first joined Buddhism, you say, "Oh, it's so hard," you know. And they say, "Oh, oh, it doesn't matter. Once you plant the seed, that's the main thing." <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of looking at it, because you don't need to put too much pressure on yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? No, no, no. Ajahn Chah once said, if you think too much about the Dhamma, your head is going to explode. So be careful. <laughs> okay, any more questions? No? Any complaints? I don't know how it went. Hopefully it went well. <laughs> okay. Any questions from the internet? No questions. Oh, great. We can <laughs> we can bow to the Buddha. Yeah. <laughs>